this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 12, our episode in honor of Black History Month about specific challenges that confront non-Hispanic Americans with fatty liver disease. In this conversation, I asked the group what changes they would like to see and believe are attainable in the next year. Answers touch on ways to enrich the right populations in new trials, on areas for basic academic research, on finding and enacting interventions that work, and most ambitiously, on creating a new government-sponsored study incorporating multiple agencies to explore this issue. As I observed at the end, we are not spoiled for choice here. Instead, the challenge is for each of us to remember to push forward in the areas in which we can do the most good fastest for this population. While non-Hispanic Black Americans are less likely to have fatty liver disease than other ethnic groups, those who do face unique challenges involving the nature of the disease and social determinants of health. This is an important issue for all of us to understand better and to act on more aggressively. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. I'm seeing a chain from Zaki that goes, first of all, physicians have to look. Before you have to ask what to recognize, you have to know that you need to look. But Stephen will solve that with his grand rounds at Howard. And then you get to this issue of maybe not going directly at Nash, but having different things going on that if you look for them, then you'll see patients that you might need to be looking at more carefully in a Nash context. So not only do we ask about Nash, we ask about food insufficiency, we ask colon cancer screening, bariatrics, other things that clearly are markers and have links so that folks are thinking more broadly or more expansively about populations at risk. I'm going to drop that on there, and then I'm going to ask a closing question. One thing you would like to see a year from now, if we had this conversation, that could actually be different and better, a realistic goal, attainable one-year time frame. Brave one, go first. Zaki Sharif. I can go. One thing that really intrigues me at the same time, because I do a lot of epigenetic studies related to liver cancer, I'm really always wondering, does NASH have an epigenetic influence? But you know, more scaringly, I don't know if anyone has done any study, but epigenetic alterations do have a significant role in the course of the disease and transmission to even offspring. So are there families where NASH is developing or NAFLD, the whole spectrum, is there and are they really passing it down to the next generation? Is it something that stays within that individual person or their lifestyle as uh, food science as uh, Annie has mentioned? Is it something that is uh, inherited? And that's what we're finding out as far as cancer is concerned. The epigenetic regulation of gene expression is a common process. It acts during differentiation of what they call the somatic cells. So the fact that a response to environmental cues or stressors and the passing of one of those modulations to the offspring may constitute what we call, of course, epigenetic inheritance and the modification, it could be DNA methylation, histone modification, all those things. But that is really applied to cancer studies. How about NASH? How about cirrhosis? I'm not talking about the alcohol aspect of it or the viral hepatitis. I'm talking about lifestyle or food, you know, nutrition. Those things are environmental, dietary, and they influence what they call the epigenetic aspect the, on top of the gene, not the DNA sequence, but the tags, you know, what they call the tags that either turn on or turn off genes. So that is where really my, my heart is now because I do a lot of underlying studies trying to understand the mechanisms of disease development, progression, and, and somebody 
has to look under the hood and see what else is going on down there that is contributing to what we see manifested in different chronic diseases. Donna Cryer. I would love to see NIH fund that, fund a, con- a multi-center study to do that. Perhaps this is a unique collaboration between NIDDK and the National Institutes of Minority Health and Health Disparities, the Institutes of Bioinformatics. I think this is one of the reasons that we've been hoping for and advocating for from the GLI perspective, a cross-NIH focus on liver health, because I think there are a number of really exciting ideas like this that need significant funding, long-term funding, and really affect the work of several institutes. Louise Campbell. I'll jump in next because um, obviously Stephen's on the call and I'm just thinking about what could be achievable probably 12 months down the line and I suppose nail it, making sure that we've got that ethnicity split as we were discussing earlier in the conversation to try and look at different non-invasive modalities and techniques and also to see what's acceptable to the communities. Which one do they favour? Is it Fibroscan? Is it Fib4? That sort of information could potentially be derived from what was detailed last week on Nailit. That might be achievable in 12 months. It might not, but that's the sort of evidence that we were discussing earlier in this session that might need to be gathered, I suppose. All in your power, Stephen, beyond a grand round. Stephen Harrison. I think one thing that is achievable in a year is at least building into the data collection for NAIL NIT the fact that we would like to overcome some of these disparities, that we would like to enrich with African Americans in our cohort. And we would target more specifically, you know, our sites in Louisiana and Mississippi and Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, where, you know, in LA even, where we have significant numbers of clinical trial sites that that could enroll and do enroll these patients. As far as collecting that data, I think it'll be more than a year. This is a six-year project, so that'll come with time. The other thing I think that we could do in a year, and I'm going to throw this back to Donna, is Rock International Nash Day. Absolutely. You know, but we need help to do that. I've done several of my explanatory presentations about how GLI can no longer function on gum and shoestrings. And so if International Nash Day it is to scale to the need that we all know exists to make sure that every member of the public, every type of policymaker, every type of physician has some piece of it that they can own, that they know that NASH applies to them and action to stop NASH now, which will be the theme for 2022, applies to them, then we, we need to do it off of more than just Black Girl Magic. It needs funding and investment from every that is your February phrase for Black History Month. You're welcome. Black Girl Magic. Did you not know that that's how GLI was invented and how we've gotten so far to this point? That's that's what it's been. The secret's out. But from now on, we're going to do it in dollars or euros. There is an expectation of GLI that I I certainly love living up to as we think about the tens of millions of people who have NASH. If we we think about all of the issues that we have surfaced on just on this podcast, on this one and and the whole, whole series, and we think of the many types of advocacy that need to be brought to bear on the problem, whether that is expertise in in media, whether that is expertise 
expertise in regulatory policy, expertise in healthcare system redesign, expertise in clinical trial recruitment. It needs to be supported at the level that we want it to act. And so I invite everyone to continue to support International NASH Day until it really can do the things that we know it needs to do. So thank you for the opportunity to put that plug in for what can be the community's best moment and really the start of a NASH 365 conversation year long, both for education and more importantly for action and creating a, a sustainable infrastructure that supports research day in and day out, that supports clinical care to redesign day in and day out, that supports the wraparound services, including defeating food insecurity and the other things that help people not only be adherent and participatory and all the way through a particularly multi-year trial, but helps to keep them connected to care until we have a NASH treatment for those who need it or for those who can be helped with lifestyle and other interventions, that there's a solution for every stage that is personalized and implemented in culture, in language, wherever people need it. I've come too far to think that it is not possible. And so because we make the impossible possible every day here at GLI, and I think International NASH Day can be an incredible moment in 2022 if we all come to the table together. Donna, with you taking the impossible and making it possible and Summit taking a broken piece and making a masterpiece, I mean, you know. Yes. It's... <laughs> Ani Yani, things we can see in 12 months. Whichever one you want to go first, go. Ani Kardashian. Everything that you've all said so far about enrollment and increasing enrollment and advancing equity in clinical research, but also just about interventions and how do we ensure that we are creating and implementing interventions that are going to help to reduce disparities that we're seeing here in the United States. So I think a lot about food insecurity. As Donna mentioned, we need a lot of money to really start looking at whether or not these sort of interventions are effective. But I think about how in the, for example, in the world of heart failure, medically tailored meal programs have been shown to be cost effective. And similarly, we can do that and show that in people with cirrhosis and people with NASH and how changing their diets and giving them the resources to change their diets can actually reduce their risk of hospitalization, reduce their risk of death, reduce their risk of developing liver cancer in the future. So I'm thinking about how, how do we design some interventions that are going to really move the needle and change the natural history of what we're seeing so far right now in um, disparities in Nash and Naffold. Okay, that's great, Yanni. Yanni Adiri. Yeah, I was going to say, and just to go off of what Ani was saying, I think something similar to in terms of the interventions, but also, you know, you asked earlier about what are some practical strategies or interventions that could happen to kind of push us towards that. Nova Nordisk, for example, in diabetes space has done studies changing diabetes, which really has went into the communities to truly understand some of their unique challenges, particularly in diabetes, and also figuring out ways to design and implement solutions that are more catered to the cities that are experiencing these, right? So something similar to that, maybe initiation of that in, in the NASH space and different organizations is something I'd like to see. It's also important, I think Donna would appreciate this, it's important to give the power back to the patients as well. And I say that by adding that by educating them, we're giving them the opportunity to be literate about their health and to really go and push so that when they are experiencing or when they're going into clinical setting and they're talking to their physicians, they could be the one to push the agenda forward about NASH and to, to try to be, you know, screened for this type of thing. So there's so much 
much that has been discussed today and what I like to see is the little things and in increasing health literacy, improving food pantries around the country, little things like that that I believe that could improve social determinants in, in Black Americans and ultimately improve their, their health outcome and reduce progression of uh, fibrosis. So um, it strikes me that we're not spoiled for choice here, right? There are 7, 8, 12 different things that we've identified in the last 15 minutes, each of which would be fantastic. So Donna, I'm rooting for you to um, get out of gum and shoestrings because it strikes me that one of the things that will have to happen is some way for people who care about this issue to help get themselves across between focus and clearinghouse so that the good ideas can benefit not only from funding, but also from energy and enthusiasm, which feels to me a lot like what GLI does every day, frankly. And I, I didn't see this up for that to be where it wound up, but here we are. I think everybody has a role to play. If people don't forget to play it, it's a good thing. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next week with Jorn Schottenberg, Ian Rowe, and first-timer Chris Estes, epidemiologist and fatty liver disease modeler at the Center for Disease Analysis Foundation. Our topic, the public health value of conducting fatty liver screening at community-based sites. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.